You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. And now let's talk about Jesus Justice. We've been going through this whole series uh, called Jesus Justice in which we've just been taking a look you know with justice themes coming up in the world and us standing up for for what's right and as many situations that come around we've been taking a look what does the bible say about these things because god is a god of justice like it's almost scary sometimes if you read the old testament prophets sometimes you will get a little terrified reading through how much they promote god's justice Mostly because when you read through what they have to say about injustice, you're like, oh, I'm complicit in that, guilty of that, and I've done that, 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 and that. And that follows the entire entire Bible. Like you get into Revelation, those themes continue. In Revelation, basically Babylon is painted. And when you look at what America looks like, you're like, oh, it's very similar. America is its own kind of Babylon. And just by living in these everyday moments that might promote you know, slavery around the world or things like that. I am complicit in what the prophets are telling me is injustice. And so God cares about justice. He calls us to justice, but we have to learn to fight justice the Jesus way. Because there's a lot of different ideas out there about the proper ways to try to stop injustice. And I tell you, Satan has an opinion as to how to stop injustice as well. And the way that his opinion works is you dominate your dominators, which then installs new domination until a new domination rises up to dominate those dominators, which installs a new domination, which rises up. Like this is the cycle of domination, which is a very popular theological idea uh, written by uh, Walter Wink. If you ever see any of his books uh, about the powers, he talks about Satan just constantly dominating and replacing domination with more domination. So how do we do it the Jesus way? How do we still rise up, promote justice and things like that? We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about love. We've talked about a lot of different things. Today, we're going to talk about peaceful uh, fighting, about pacifistic fighting. Because in America, if we're honest with ourselves, like we love violence, (laughs) And you may yourself not be a violent person, but if you're like me, sometimes I'll be watching a movie and I'm like, oh, you better punch him in the face or something. Like you just like, you want someone to feel the monologue that they just delivered. You want justice in that moment. And that's painted in everything American. Like just watch a Disney movie sometime. Growing up, if you grew up with the same Disney movies I grew up with, then you were taught that in the end, the bad guy has to die. (laughs) They can't be put in jail. They can't have any form of judgment upon them. They have to get the ax before it's over. And so Ursula gets run through with like a boat, right? And then Maleficent falls off a cliff into jagged rocks and and Clayton falls out of jungle vines and gets choked and hung by... Why, Why do I feel like I can't say these out loud with your children here? Like these are Disney movies, right? The Incredibles, the bad guy gets sucked into a jet engine and explodes. Like these are... 
<laughs> these are the ways that our Pixar and Disney movies end. We're taught that bad guys, they will have justice and it will be the death of them for whatever it is that they did wrong, you know? And that is often the world that uh, we live in. And I love that uh, it's painted an interesting picture of Americans to other nations. So there's this Nintendo game uh, called Kirby. You know who I'm talking about? He's a little pink puffball. He's a cloud. He wears shoes and then he's got like arms that are this big. And he walks around and goes, hi, ha, woo, Annie. Like that's just it. Like it's just this joyful little puffball, even though he destroys worlds. He's just this tiny little puffball. But if you look at the Japanese box art, he's running around he's like, hi, hi, you know. If you look at American box art right next to it, he's got his brows knit, he's got a sword in his hand, he's gonna kill you. <laughs> it's, just, it's a completely different marketing thing for Americans because they realize like Americans want this like hardcore Kirby in, up in their face, whereas Japanese people are kind of looking for this kind of chilled out, happy little puffball. That's the way that we come across in marketing campaigns. We're looking for violence. Uh, every movie that comes out has to one-up the last one. Remember, I think the first movie to try to go the ultimate distance was uh, Live Free or Die Hard. Uh, the things that happens to John McClane in that movie are physically impossible. Like, you couldn't go through one of those things and just stand up and keep walking. He should have died like 800 times. At one point, he's falling off a bridge into the back of a semi, doing a backflip, while a helicopter blades come through the side of the semi, nearly chopping his chin off. Like, this doesn't happen. This, this isn't the way that life goes, but that's constantly what we're looking for. And personally, I didn't have a lot of conviction on any of this. Like, I, I didn't think violence was okay, but at the same time, I was like, eh, violence is maybe an acceptable evil. Uh, you just expect things like that to happen. I remember... Like, I, I had so little conviction on this. At one point, I, like, invited my small group to come over and watch Machine Gun Preacher, which is like a Gerard Butler movie where this Pentecostal guy, based on a true story, goes to some other nation to, like, uh, help these poor people, and then he's taking out the bad guys everywhere while preaching the gospel at the same time. And, like, when I saw it, I was like, they, they filmed the movie in a way that I kind of gripped your heartstrings. I was like, kind of want my friends to watch this. But then like, now I have this conviction, like, Jamin, could you ever, could you ever write, you know, Jesus under the title of Machine Gun Preacher? <laughs> could you re-envision Gerard Butler like Jesus with a machine gun back here, right? To just kill all the bad guys and take justice into his own hand. Can you picture that? If you can, I would suggest that your biblical image of Jesus is missing a few beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons of God. If you want to be a child of God, it's not about making peace with a gun. It's about setting that aside. And Jesus shows us that time and time again. And we could, we could address all these different moments, but really the ultimate moment kind of sums it all up. Jesus hangs on a cross. You know he didn't have to, right? He had other ways in which he had been offered to take over the world. Satan was like, if you worship me, then I'll give you the world. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. Jesus, even before he's hung on a cross, tells the emperor, he's like, look, uh, I could call in legions of angels right now, destroy you all. 
Jesus had the gun, if you will. But he ditched it to take on persecution on a cross instead. To save your life, not with a gun, but with radical forgiveness hanging on a cross, looking at these people murdering him and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What kind of audacity is that? Like, that's, that's our God. He could just sweep in, wipe us out, but instead he's graceful and patient and waiting for more to be saved. He could send legions of angels to come and destroy us all and not offer us forgiveness, but instead he's willing to offer people who will kill him forgiveness. That's the ultimate pacifistic move. And usually when people want to say, well, no, Jamin, Jesus wasn't a pacifist. He, he had a sword. I would, he told his disciples, go get a sword. I would tell you to look at that verse in context. Earlier in the gospel, Jesus sends his disciples out to do ministry. And he tells them, look, you don't need anything. You don't need uh, any more than like sandals and a staff, you know, maybe a backpack. I don't remember. But like, he's like, God's going to take care of you. I'm sending you out. I want you to go stay at people's houses, tell them about the gospel. If they don't receive it, you know, wipe the dust off your feet, move on. But get out there and do ministry. You don't need anything. God will take care of you. When you fast forward to the end of the gospels, Jesus looks at the same disciples and says, remember back when I sent you to do ministry and you didn't have anything? They're like, yeah. He's like, okay, well, there's this prophetic word that I need to be counted among. uh, Does anyone remember the word? I forget it too. Counted among people who are basically not listening to me. (laughs) You know, sinners, rebels. uh, I wish I could think of the exact word, but I need to be counted among basically people who are disobeying me. And so what does he say is going to be that thing to disobey, to rebel, to sin? He says, go get a sword. He doesn't tell them to use the sword. He just tells them to go get a sword. And they get one. They're like, I've got one. And Jesus says, yeah, that's enough. The prophetic action has been done. Now I'm counted among people who don't listen to me. I told you to go out, do things without something like that. You were fine. Now you've disobeyed by having something like that. All right, that's enough. Now, of course, Peter, always jumping in, right? Peter in ninja style form at one point uses that sword, chops off some guy's ear, which, okay, let's face it, Peter's a fisherman, He just went for the kill and missed. He didn't intentionally like, shink, like he can't do that, right? He went for the kill, misses, chops off a guy's ear, and Jesus is like, no more of this, picks up the guy's ear, sticks it back on his head, and heals him. Again, it's an ultimate statement, like, I did not come here for violence and to destroy death, destruction, lies, all that belongs with the enemy. I've come here to bring life and life abundant. Here's your ear back, dude. You know, like... That right there is an extreme moment of pacifism. He reverses violence. And a lot of times, you know, we get, we get caught up in the Old Testament. We're like, well, the Old Testament, that's, there's war all over the place. God's a violent God. It's like, Jesus is God. When you see him, you've seen the Father. What did Jesus do? Time and time again, he showed us we are not here for violence. That's what all the other people who, who raised up throughout the years who said they were the messiahs, they always came with these violent messages. We're going to take the kingdom. But Jesus is like, we are going to bring the kingdom by letting them hurt us. That's where that famous quote, uh, some, 
someone once said was uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church that's what you see where people are martyred the church rises up it doesn't die you can't squash christianity when you try it's like stepping on a bug that just had a bunch of babies <laughs> they all come out now you've got more bugs to deal with that's not a good analogy because i don't know if that happens but <laughs> that's that's like the illustration of how christianity will will get out there and keep growing that when persecution comes on us we like jesus don't take up the machine gun preacher style we take up a cross and we say if you need to hurt us we'll take that on and in doing so we will show you what jesus looks like and that's a very powerful statement I always thought, like, even once I was convinced that Jesus had a pacifistic way about him, I still thought pacifism was kind of weak. It's not. Like, it, it shifts the tables. You know, someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Can you imagine? A bunch of people watching someone, he just slaps you, and then you're like, oh, go ahead, do the other one. Like, everyone looking around would be like, don't you dare do that other one. It turns them inward on themselves. They realize the wrong that they've done. King Saul and David, they had this experience. King Saul was enraged. He wanted to kill David. And one time he was having some severe diarrhea or something, had to go use the bathroom in a cave. I don't know. Uh, leaves his army outside. He's like, I'll be right back. <laughs> and David happened to be in that cave. So David doesn't want to kill Saul, even though Saul's out to kill him. David just clips a piece of his robe while Saul's on the toilet. And then when Saul gets off the toilet, David walks out of the cave and probably his first words were something along, I heard all that. But the second words after that is, hey, this is yours. <laughs> Why does he do that? He does it to say, I just had the chance to kill you while you were on the toilet and I didn't do it. You know what that does to Saul? 180, he turns around. He's like, wow, I have wronged you, David. I'm sorry. Pack it up, army. Let's go home. That's not the only time Saul got enraged again, <laughs> comes out to kill him. David does the same technique in a different way. This time not on the toilet. He didn't have like problems all the time. Uh, but while they're sleeping, they go in and they steal a bunch of stuff. And, and then they, they come out. I was like, is this your stuff? He's like, uh, yeah, I could have killed you again. And I didn't. And Saul's like, I'm sorry, David. I've sinned against you again. <laughs> Obviously, Saul couldn't get this through his thick brain because things still didn't go well for him all the way to the end. But that's the kind of pacifism that reverses a situation. Tolkien understood that in Lord of the Rings. At the end of Lord of the Rings in the movie, like, you get on a boat and Gandalf laughs into the distance of whiteness. You know, like, ha, ha, ha. But in the book, they get home to the Shire, and it's been taken over by Saruman, who, who never died. And Saruman is there, and, and Sam has a chance to kill Saruman. And... Uh, Oh, no. <laughs> I was going to say Elijah Wood, but that's not the book. <laughs> Frodo, thank you. <laughs> I lost my nerd church card in that moment. Uh, Frodo, Elijah Wood, looks at Sam <laughs> and says, no, don't kill him. You know, he, he used to be good and he could come around. I like to think that there's still hope for him. And Saruman is ticked. He's just like, well... You've taken all the joy out of my, my little evil here. You've become very, very wise. 
and I hate you for it. You know, like he's just kind of upset about it because he knows like, I can't kill you now. You just spared my life. That right there, even though Tolkien had been in war himself, he still pictures this pacifistic moment reversing the tables. Do you want to embody that kind of peace of Jesus? Because if you do, it starts right now. It starts up here. If you sleep with a gun under your bed, a knife under your pillow, ready to kill the person coming into your house, you will embody what you have practiced up here. But if you want to be like the bishop from Les Mis, the, the uh, Liam Neeson version, Liam Neeson's always got to beat someone up. So, right, in the Liam Neeson version, uh, he's stealing all this expensive silverware and the bishop comes down. He's like, oh, what are you doing, my son? And Liam Neeson punches him out, right? Liam Neeson then gets caught and he comes back with the silverware and the bishop, the policemen are like, is this your silverware, bishop? Was this stolen from you? And, and the bishop, you know, with this like bruised eyes, like, I gave it to him. <laughs> Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes above and beyond. He's like, you forgot these things over here. And he gives him more stuff. Like, that's the turn the other cheek moment. And then, you know, in the other Les Mis version, he's like, with this, I have bought your soul. You know, and, and from that moment on, there's like this salvation moment in Jean Valjean's life because... Someone showed him mercy. Someone showed him grace when he had the ability to do otherwise, to pursue real legal justice. He chooses to be pacifistic instead. And Jean Valjean's character is changed in that moment. Sure, there's these fictional stories about it, but there's also these real stories about it like we've talked about. You will embody what you're already practicing. We heard a story in Jackson some time back. Uh, some, some young kids broke into a house and then uh, they, they got caught. The house owners woke up and they went for their guns. And as these young kids are running away out of the house, I think with nothing, the owner proceeds to shoot at least one of them dead. He embodied what he had practiced in his mind. And guess who ended up in jail? The guy with the gun for shooting down, even though this person was robbing them, for just murdering them in your front yard after doing nothing. So that's that right there. Like you'll, you'll embody what, what you're practicing in your head. And so this is the renewing of your mind that Jesus calls us to. What do you want to renew your mind to? Is it a cross or is it a weapon? Time and time again throughout the New Testament, we are called to the cross. As far as the weapon goes, the Bible keeps saying, this is only God's. And one day, not today, but one day he will come and use that weapon. This is why when I go to, when I go to marches, I, I walk there. Because I'm coming in, I'm saying like, yes, Black Lives Matter to me too. I am here to support... Uh, telling the world that black lives matter. I may not agree with everything the organization agrees with, but I agree in this principle and that's what I'm here to do. But the reason I walk is because if this goes south, if it does not 
stay peaceful, if it becomes violent, just cross the line with Jesus. And I got to go. Rather than go search for my car, I'm just really like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to march out because I'm no longer aligned with what Jesus has called me to. And that's not weakness. I am willing to get beat up for my black brothers and sisters. I don't mind that. But I'm not going to beat someone up in the name of Jesus. Because machine gun preachers is an oxymoron. Also, it's a moron. And oxy. I don't, I don't know what that means, though. There's this passage in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord shows up. And I've talked about the angel of the Lord before. There are many scholars, and I'd agree with them, that the angel of the Lord is Jesus before he takes on human form. The angel of the Lord sometimes gets called the word of the Lord. John tells us that the word put on flesh came and dwelt among us. Anyways, when the angel of the Lord, the commander of the army, shows up to Joshua at the start of the Holy Wars, does anyone remember what he says? You remember? Yeah, so... Think of veggie tales. <laughs> no, but just kidding. I know this story, too. Yeah. Um, it's like, Joshua's like, oh, are you for us or something like that? But yeah. Like, are you for us or our adversaries? Like, I'm not for you or them. I'm for the Lord. Yeah. And, and it's funny the way the Bible phrases it. Are you for us or our adversaries? And, and Jesus' answer, or the angel of the Lord is just like, no. <laughs> right. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, you want to go out to eat or eat at home? No. What? <laughs> that, that wasn't on my list of answers here. You know, like, that's the way the angel of the Lord answers. At the start of the holy wars, whose side are you on, Jesus? Uh, no. But I am the commander of the army. In other words, like, they, we have no kids, no questions like that. I mean, when we ask them a question, hmm. they give us the answer, no, which I really get upset. Yeah. You know, just a silent no. Okay, no what? Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's just a funny thing that often happens to us. And that's why it's comical when it shows up in the Bible. It's just like, no, you know, and like that, that right there should shout volumes to us in the middle of a very violent Old Testament. Jesus shows up. Whose side are you on? No, but I am here like that. That's an intriguing moment. And when Jesus finally shows up in the flesh, he gives the loudest no anyone's ever given on that cross. Whose side are you on? Uh, well, I came to save the Jews who I'm going to send to save the Gentiles, who I'm going to forgive these people who are murdering me right now. Whose side? I guess I'm here for all of you. <laughs> if you want to practice Jesus justice and you're going in violently, if you want to practice Jesus justice and you're going in with hate, you're not practicing Jesus justice. Jesus says, you've heard it said that, you know, uh, don't kill your brother or sister, but if you hate your brother or sister, I consider that murder. So let me say that again. If you're pursuing justice by hating the people on the other side, you're hating the people that Jesus says, I'm for all of you, but you're also practicing murder, spiritual murder towards them. And that, that's an important thing to recognize because guys, the more that we push into justice, the harder our hearts become. The stories that you will hear, the atrocities that have happened, 
those will break you down until you have no concern for the people doing the oppression. And Jesus says, if you hate them, you're already guilty of murder. Soften your hearts. I'll come with ultimate justice. You can pursue justice now. He's not saying forget about justice now. But as Christians, you pursue it with love, with softened hearts, and willing to hang on a cross. Because that is the kind of thing that changes the world. Hanging on a cross saved your life. Hanging on a cross usurped the enemy. Stole the kingdoms of this world right out from under his feet. Enthroned Jesus on the highest heights. You can't beat that. And that all came from Jesus' pacifistic fighting. Which is not weak. It's not effortless. It takes more than anything. And it's a powerful way to change the world. That's what we're called to as Christians. So, as we let that sink in, uh, we're going to worship. Just checking on my time here. And I'll pray for you. I thank you. Uh, Let me pray for you. God, we just ask for your peace right now, starting with that peace that passes understanding and continuing with that peace as a fruit that you grow in us. It is so human and so easy to be militant when we are angry. God, I'm probably the biggest oxymoron here because I am a very angry pacifist. (laughs) And if anger is murder, then... My heart needs to be softened. So would you bring a peace that passes understanding right now? And then would you continue to install peace, not just in our hearts for others, but in our minds, in the way that we foresee things going. We turn our weapons into plowshares into farming equipment would we take up our cross knowing that you said if you're going to commit to me you're going to need one of these would we listen would we take that Jesus I think of Peter so strange. He was totally willing to follow you to death if he could hold a sword. He started a war. He chopped someone's ear off. He tried to go for the kill and missed. But the moment that you said, put that sword down, suddenly he was no longer willing to die for you. He would die with it, but not without it. And a lot of our hearts are the same way. We'll die if we can beat someone up. We'll go down fighting but we're not willing to take on a cross. Convict us of that. In Jesus' name.